All right. How's everybody doing? That was good, right? That was good. All right. For those of you that maybe came in during the music and I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John, and I'm uh, the pastor here at Carolina Family Church. We've got a lot of great things coming up this fall, and so if you uh, missed the opening where we were talking about everything that's going to be going on this fall, uh, make sure that we have your email address in our church database so we can get all that information to you just in case you missed that today. Um, we are very, very excited because we're beginning a new series. It's fall. Everything's new, right? Everything's starting over. We are, we're getting back to it. And uh, schedules are coming. Football is coming. Some fans. It already came. If you're a college fan, happened last night. Who, who won the game? I never saw the end of it. Alabama or Florida State? Alabama. Was it 10-7? Is that where it ended? 29-10. Oh, so it opened up in the second half. Okay. A defensive battle in the first half. Anyway, I love it. And uh, some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. What are those numbers? What do they mean? I don't know. Uh, but it's fall, and so we're kicking off a brand new... Oh, that's good. Kicking off. There you go. Pun intended. Uh, we're kicking off a brand new series. It's called Don't Let Blank Control You. Don't let blank control you. And we're going to fill that in every single week during this series as we talk about what we're under the control of. And here's the thing, whether you realize it or not, we are all under the control of something. In fact, we're all under the control of a lot of things, <laughs> you know? Like, I look at Tom Brady, football again, okay? I look at Tom Brady, I think he's controlled by a robot in his brain. I think there's some little robot in his brain with, like, all the little controls, like the Starship Enterprise, and that's how they, that's how they do that. And as a Bills fan, I'm convinced that that's somehow cheating. <laughs> but... <laughs> We're all under the control of something. Most of us, really all of us, are under the control of a lot of things. Whether we realize it or not, our culture and the media and our schedules and our obligations and money and time and our parents and our children and, let's face it, our spouses, right? We're under, all under the control of a bunch of different things. And so we're going to talk in the series about some of the things that we need to not be in control uh, of or not have control us and what should replace it. And in order to do that, we are going to walk through the greatest sermon ever preached. And spoiler alert, not one that I've ever done. It's from the book of Matthew. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to hear from Jesus, the greatest sermon ever preached. We are going to fly over this thing. Over the course of four weeks, we're going to cover three chapters in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up there to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, as you can imagine, to cover uh, three chapters in four weeks, we've got to cover a lot of ground each week, and that's what we're going to do. All right. So here's what we're going to talk about today. If you're taking notes and you want to jot this down, you're going to love this. Some of you are going to love this one, okay? Today is don't let rules control you. We can't teach this one in Carolina Kids. We can't do this one in Carolina Kids. Because when you're a kid, you need rules. You need boundaries, right? That's the way that works. One of the most important things about parenting a young child is obedience, teaching obedience. But we, we are a bit mature, more mature and can handle what Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 5. And today we're going to talk about not letting rules control us. Now, I, would, I know that this is one that Christians need to hear. And I would imagine if you're not a Christian with us today, and I'm glad you're here, if, you, if you're not, uh, this is one you want to hear. <laughs> because you might look at what it means to be a Christian and be like, well, isn't being a Christian following rules? <laughs> isn't that what you do? Isn't that what they do? I mean, Christians, boy, I'll tell you, we love our rules. We do. 
because it makes things simple and clean for us, doesn't it? We love rules. I, I grew up in a fantastic church, just an amazing church, but boy, there were a lot of rules. It was a conservative Baptist church. That was the denomination, all right, conservative Baptist America. And uh, so that meant that you couldn't, like, you couldn't dance. That was a thing. You couldn't dance. My, my dad is a pastor. Some of you met him a few weeks ago when he came and preached. And uh, he had never danced. The first time he ever danced in his whole life was at my, my uh, sister's wedding. First time ever. And so they had, I mean, all these rules that you had to follow. And you, you look at some churches and it's like, my goodness, where does this stuff come from? Like, uh, all across the board. And if you look at Christianity on the surface and what culture tells us about Christianity, you would think it's a religion of keeping the rules. That you have to keep this set of standards. If you kept this set of standards, you're good. And if you don't, you're not. The thing is, that is not at all what Christianity is. Not at all. And, and for some of you who aren't a Christian, let me just take a little bit of a relief on you, a little bit of weight off of your shoulders. And, and maybe if you're a Christian, let me take a little weight off your shoulders too. We do not have a faith that's dictated by a set of rules. And that's what Jesus really digs into in Matthew chapter 5. And so uh, that's where we're going to look today. And a heads up, if you, this is where having a paper Bible is really going to help you today. So I hope you brought one. But you can follow on the screen. And um, you also can download the YouVersion Bible app and um, click on events. And you can find our service. And it'll have all the scripture there for you too. Okay, but we're going to Matthew chapter 5, and um, we're going to read the whole chapter, okay? We're going to read the whole thing. It's going to take a little bit of time. I'm going to explain it as we go through so you understand. There's a little bit of history and context that's needed to fully understand what Jesus is saying. Um, and if, 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 you're, if you're not familiar with the Bible, what you're going to notice as we read through here is you're familiar with a lot of this stuff. You just may not know that it came from Jesus. And so I'll point those things out as we go, some of the phrases and things that we have in our culture and that they actually come from Jesus Christ. Um, so we're going to read through. And here's what I really want to encourage you to do as we're reading. There's, there's, there's what Jesus is saying, and then there's what he's saying. Okay? <laughs> So, and, and that's where I'm, I'm going to help walk us through and lead us through that. There are, there are small nuggets, and usually these nuggets get pulled out as, as individuals, and there's a lot we can learn from these little nuggets, these little vignettes in Scripture. But there is, there is a bigger picture that Jesus is trying to say as he actually walks through this entire Sermon on the Mount, but particularly what we have categorized as Matthew chapter 5. All right, so I want you to be looking for that. Look for the theme that's that thread that weaves all the way through this as we're reading. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 5. Um, I'm going to try to do this. There we go. It's tough with the handheld microphone. <laughs> All right, but um, here we go. Verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, just to be clear, when it says disciples, it's not talking about the 12 disciples. It's not talking about the apostles. It's talking about all of his disciples. Like, at, at this point, hundreds of people are with him and following him around in ministry. So this is a massive crowd of people that are listening to Jesus teach. Um, as he sees them gathering, he goes and finds a spot to teach them and then launches into what I believe is the greatest sermon that anyone has ever preached. He opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Which, if I can just pause, we're not, we won't go this slow through the whole thing, but uh, that doesn't make sense, does it? 
<laughs> not logically, not, not the average person. You say, no, blessed, them, blessed are the poor. No, blessed are the rich in spirit, right? I mean, blessed, blessed are the people who have it all together. Blessed are the people who are happy. Blessed are the people who are successful. Blessed are the people who are joyful, right? Not blessed are the people who are hurt. And that's what this means. Poor in spirit means to be beaten down. It means to be hurt. It means to be lost. It means to be, it means to, to, to feel a sense of hopelessness coming in on your life. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you're poor in spirit, you're blessed. And then he continues taking these same things, the same types of things and flipping them on their heads. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn. What? Right? What? Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness, age-old phrase. This will help you remember. It's a little corny, but it's an age-old phrase. Meekness is not weakness. It's great power under control. That's what that is. So it's a person who has great power but doesn't use it. And he said, blessed are they, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the persecuted. What is he saying? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. (laughs) Which is contrary to everything he said, isn't it? He says, rejoice. And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, let's just pause here for a second. And let's look at what Jesus is saying. It's, it almost seems to me, as I'm reading this, like Jesus is putting everybody who's listening on notice. Almost like, almost like he's intentionally saying phrases that don't make any sense and are going to cause every single person in the room to go, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not, this is not what everyone else is saying. This is not what all the other religious leaders are teaching. And Jesus is putting them on notice right at the beginning of the sermon. Hey, what I'm about to teach you isn't going to make sense to other people. It's, it's not going to line up with what everybody else says or thinks or does. And so get ready because what I'm about to teach you and the journey we're about to go on through his entire ministry is going to be completely unexpected. And what Jesus is saying here is, blessed are you when you mourn, right? Why? Because you'll be comforted. Because when we're in all of these positions is when we realize our need for God the most greatly. We're in a position of humility, ready to actually receive what God gives us instead of a position of pride. And he's getting them ready. He's getting them ready for the rest of the teaching. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. He says, you're the salt of the earth. Now, that's a good thing, right? Now, if you salt the earth, that's a bad thing. I don't know if you know that about, like, agriculture. But if you salt the ground, that's not a good thing. That's not what he's saying. And uh, maybe you've heard that phrase. You ever heard someone say that before? You're the salt of the earth. That guy's the salt of the earth. Okay, this is where it comes from. Um, He says, you're the salt of the earth. And why is he saying that? Well, because salt is good. Anybody? <laughs> salt is good. I, I am constantly accused of oversalting everything because I think that salt is good. If it makes like my lips pucker and like if my, if my body instantly begins to dehydrate, I know I'm getting close to the salt level that it needs to have. Salt is good. What does salt do? It, it flavors, right? It preserves, 
right? Basically, here's what it is, and this, we can boil it down to it being this simple. Salt makes things better. Salt makes things better. And so when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, he's saying, hey, you're here to make things better. All right, you're here to flavor it. You're here to preserve it. You're here to, you're here to take this world and take it up a notch. And I'm going to show you how. He said, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? He's basically saying if we lose our passion, if we lose our focus, if we get off track, uh, if, if we start looking at things the way the world looks at things rather than looking at the world the way God looks at the world, which is what he's just gone through, right? Well, what, we're totally ineffective. What point is there to our existence at that point, right? Salt without any flavor, salt without saltiness is just grain, you know? It's sand is basically what it is. How shall it be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out uh, and trampled under people's feet. So he says you're salt. And then in verse 14, he says you're light. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Getting them ready. Getting them ready. He's saying you're salt, but don't lose your saltiness. And you're a light, but don't put it under a basket. All right. You're here to flavor the world. You're here to, to, to point people in a new direction. You're here to shine light into dark places. And he's going to tell you how. He's going to show us how as he keeps going. Now, verse 17 through 20 is, is a, bit of a, a little bit of a vacation he takes. And um, he has to basically preface everything he's about to say so they don't get mad. <laughs> okay? he's, and, and history is helpful here because he, in the first part of his ministry, is talking to Jewish people. Okay? And Jewish people are under something called the law. And if you're not familiar with that term, what it is, it's all of the rules that the Jewish people lived by. Hundreds of them, 400 and some of them in the Old Testament. They had to follow all these rules like not eating bacon and keeping the Sabbath and following all the feasts and festivals and all these things that they had to do in order to be a good Jew. And if you did all of these things and made all the right sacrifices, then you were in a good position with God. All right? So that's the crowd he's talking to. And he's about to say, don't let rules control you. <laughs> and so he's got to preface this before he dives in. And it's important. The history on this is going to bring this to light because this can be confusing without it. All right? he, says, um, he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law of prophets. So, so before we get this, so, you know, I'm not tossing, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. I'm not tossing all that, okay? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's going to be the fulfillment of all the prophecy and all of the law of the Old Testament, all the sacrifices. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all has a, is accomplished. What is he talking about when he says all is accomplished? Is, is he saying that the law remains in place until the end of time? No, no, no. When he says all is accomplished, he's talking about his death on the cross. So he's saying, yes, I'm here. All right, I'm here, and I'm the king of the Jews. I am Jesus Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one who's going to fulfill the law. But the law doesn't stop until I die on the cross. So he's saying, you got you to keep this. All right, but then once he dies on the cross, he has fulfilled the law, and it then does not continue, right? Okay, that's important. That's important history so that we don't think that we're still under the law today because we are not, okay? 
He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, history really important here. He's not saying that we have to keep all the rules in order to get into heaven. That is not the way that it works. He's speaking to Jews at that time and saying, you are still under the law, so keep it as closely as you possibly can. Because at this time in history, he is still offering them the kingdom of God. We talked about this. If you, if you want a little more background history on this, we did a series called Summer School, and we talked about the kingdom and what that means and what we said was that Jesus, in the first part of his ministry, offers the kingdom of God to the Jews, that he will be their king and they will be his people, but they reject him. And so in Matthew chapter 10, everything changes. He goes to plan B in the ministry, not plan B, let's call it phase two of his, of his ministry. And then he opens up salvation to everyone, Jews, Gentiles, anybody in the world through his death on the cross. All right, that's a long story, very, very short. All I'm doing is telling you that so that you don't think that we're still under the law. Right? He was telling them to keep the law up until the time of his death. Okay? That makes that confusing passage just a little bit more clear. Now that he's prefaced it, it's time for the real stuff. Okay? And again, you're going to see individual teachings here. Look for the bigger thread, the bigger theme of what he's saying. Verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, and you notice that phrasing as we go through, he said, you've heard it said, and he gives a rule. He says, but I say to you, but I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool, even to say you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hands you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. I catch what he said there. He said, you've heard it said, don't murder. And I tell you, don't even hate. And if you got a problem with someone, deal with it quickly. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, is Jesus advocating that people be plucking out their eyes and cutting off their hands? No, not specifically. What he's saying, he's, he's drawing out the importance, the value, the, the uh, seriousness of what he's saying. He used, that's called hyperbole. He's, he uses it all the time. Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This was a law that Moses put in place because people wanted to get divorced, and he, he gave them an out. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Verse 33. Again, you've heard it, said, it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, 
but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But I say to you, don't even take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You ever heard the phrase, let your yes be yes and your no be no? That's Jesus. He said that. Verse 30, uh, verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You've heard the phrase, turn the other cheek. Again, that's Jesus. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Have you ever heard the phrase, give him the shirt off his back? That's Jesus. And any, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. You ever heard the phrase, go the extra mile? That's Jesus. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, here's verse 48. Catch this, the last verse. All right, you made it. Verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, that makes me nervous. Does that, make it, does, that, does that verse make anybody else just a little bit nervous? You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Did you hear what Jesus was really saying as he said all of that, you've heard it said, there's a rule. But I say to you, there's a spirit behind the rule that you should aspire to. Rules, here's the reason we like rules so much. Rules tell us where the boundary is. And when we know where the boundary is, we know how close we can get to the boundary and still be safe. Don't we? So tell me where the line is, all right? If the line is the edge of the stage, what do I do? Totally natural, right? Right? I, I, like, I tiptoe right up to that thing, like a free throw line in basketball, man. I'm like, as close, I'm getting as close to that thing as I can possibly get. And I get right up to that line. I get as close as I can possibly get. Tell me. So, uh, okay. So what does sexual immorality mean? Tell me, tell me what that means, because if you tell me what that means, if you tell me specifically what does that mean, what, what is the action, and what's the time, and what's the relationship, and what's, the, what's okay and what's not okay, what I'm asking is how close to that line can I get without stepping over? Why? It's because I'm prideful. It's because, because, because when we live by rules, what we, what we do is we set ourselves up to live by the lowest common denominator which is why we ask those questions. That's why we want to know those things. It's like, um, it's like if, let's say, let's say I had a company and my company um, manufactured spaceships, okay? What were you expecting? 
All right. <laughs> You're going to dream. Dream big. I say shoot for the stars. So I have a company that manufactures spacecraft, and I want to hire somebody who is going to, um, who is going to design the heat shield. Pretty important, right? Heat shield for re-entry. All right, so I'm going to hire someone who's going to design the heat shield, and they come in and sit down, and I say, okay, let's talk about the job. Do you have, we go through the whole interview. They, I say, do you have any questions? And they say, yeah, how much do I actually have to work every day? What time do I come in? Like, oh, you, you come in at 8 o'clock. Okay, how late can I be without getting in trouble? Realistically, I know you got a rule, but like realistically, um, you, you, you need to be here on time. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, what time, what time do we get to leave? Well, I mean, you leave it. Technically, we're done at five, but you leave when your work's done for the day. <laughs> and you go, uh-oh, I mean, could, uh, there some days we could leave early because I got some other things I don't want to do. Um, could I look at some day, like Fridays, maybe? like you ever get off early on Fridays? I mean, no, we, hmm, we, uh, you know, we want to get the, want to get the job done, so, uh, so yeah, we, we, we work at least until five. Okay, okay, at least until five. Gotcha. All right. Um, how much time off is there? <laughs> well, uh, we have busy seasons and we have slow seasons, and you know, we, we, we just need, we need to get the, the job done. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, so, um. Like how many breaks do we get? We get breaks during the day, right? How many how many breaks do we get? And uh, you know, each day. Um, what? You know, why are why are you asking me these questions? The reason that those questions, those kinds of questions, get asked is because you want to know where the line is, because you want to walk right up to the line. I'm going to take all my vacation time, and I'm not going to get here a minute before I'm supposed to be here, and I'm not going to stay a minute after I have to be here, and I want to know how I can get away with as much as possible while I'm here, right? That's a good way not to get a job offer, isn't it? Instead, could you imagine if I'm hiring someone to design heat shields for the space shuttle that I'm designing, and they come in and they sit down, and I say, How, I, have, I, have, I have some, uh, you know, lay the whole thing out, and I say, do you have any questions? And they look back and they say, how do I be the best I can possibly be at this job? Or, or they say, what could, what could I do that would blow you away? There's, there's a completely different mentality between those two things. And that's what Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, I know you heard it said there's a rule. But I'm telling you that if you just live to the standard of the rules, you are going to miss the whole point. You're going to miss all of the joy and all of the peace and all of the gladness and all of the fulfillment that God has in store for you because you're living to the minimum standard that people set for you rather than aspiring to the highest standard which God has created you for. Two totally different mentalities. Don't let the rules control you. Let the Spirit of God control you and not tell you how you can not be bad, but how you can be the best version of you that God created you to be. You know, this is really, this is the main difference between a mature disciple and a stagnant one. 
A mature disciple is trying to reach the highest level of holiness that they can possibly reach, while a stagnant one is living to the minimum standard that they're expected to keep. And God has designed you for more than that. It's intrinsic motivation, not external motivation. And I just want, I'm asking myself this question, and I want to encourage you to ask this question, which one am I? Which one am I? Am I looking for the lowest possible standard? Am I following the letter of the law? Or am I aspiring to the spirit of the law? Could you say, could I say, the goal of my life is holiness? That's a tough one, isn't it? That's tough for me. I know it's tough for you. Because there are so many things that want to control us. There are so many things that drag us in other directions. We just have to say, what kind of person am I going to be? What kind of life am I going to lead? Our goal should not just be obedience like a small child. Our goal should be holiness. You know, we, we worry a lot about what we do and the mistakes that we make and what our record is. And I just want you to know that God is, God is not looking at your record. He's not looking at your record. We're either forgiven or not. He's not looking at your record. He's looking for your repentance. The word repentance means to change our mind. It means to turn in a new direction. It means to not look at my life and what I can get away with, but to look at my life and what I can get away from. That that when a line is set, and yes, there are rules in the Bible. Yes, there are standards that are set in the Bible. Yes, the Bible lays out what's sin and what's not sin, absolutely. But our response, the proper response, if we really believe what Christ did for us, we believe that he forgave us for our sin. We believe that our sin was poured out on him, that, that, it, that, that it was my sin that caused Jesus' pain on the cross, that the goal of my life is to, is to make that less and less and less and less and to become more and more like Jesus. So when he says the line's right here, my response is not to get as close to the line as I can possibly get, not to look at what I can get away with, but how I can get away from. So, so if he says that pride is a sin, then I need to get as far away from pride and embrace humility as much as I possibly can. If he says that greed is a sin, then I need to get away from greed and embrace generosity in my life. If, if, if he says, that, if he says that, 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 uh, that hating someone, arguing with someone is a sin, then I need to get away from that as much as I possibly can. Blessed are the peacemakers, that I need to, I need to look for ways to create peace and unity and harmony in life rather than being a source or catalyst of frustration and dissension and disunity, that I need to look at that line and run from it. The law was there to show us that we weren't perfect, but it's to, it's to give us something to run away from. Scripture talks all the time about fleeing from sin. And I'm so thankful because I know I can't do that on my own. But I know that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, when he was raised again, he forgave me of all of my sin. And even though he forgave me of all of my sin, I struggle every single day 
to strive towards holiness. But that he didn't leave me alone and he won't leave you alone either. That he has, when we accept Christ as our Savior, he fills us with his spirit and it is the spirit that gives us the power to change. It's the spirit that gives us the power to flee. It's the spirit that says, you're too close to the line. It's time to turn and run. And that's repentance. And I want you to know there is good news because no matter what you've been through or how controlled you feel by all of those things, that the control of the Holy Spirit is greater and the power of the Holy Spirit is greater. And if you just come to him in faith and admit your failure and ask forgiveness of your sin and ask the Spirit to take control of your life, you don't have to live under the power of those things anymore. But you can live under the power of the Spirit. And Jesus is setting them up and he's saying, hey, guys, men, women, I've got something better for you. I've got good news. Because you've heard all this stuff said, but I tell you there's a higher level we're going to go to. There's a higher place that we're going to be. It gives us hope and hope and joy. And it's only when we put on that mentality, it's only when we put on that mentality that we understand how the meek can inherit the earth. And we can understand how the, how the poor in spirit can receive the kingdom of heaven, how, how those who mourn will be comforted, how those who are meek inherit the earth, how those who are who hungry and thirst and right for righteousness, holiness, that's what that is, right? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who pursue holiness will be satisfied. Those who are merciful receive mercy. Those who are pure in heart see God. Those who are peacemakers are called sons of God. Those who are persecuted receive the kingdom. And those who are reviled and persecuted in the name of Jesus will rejoice. And it's only when we make that shift, we say, I want to live my life as far away from the line as I can so that rules don't control me, but the Spirit of God controls me. And I'm going to make that commitment, and I'm asking you to make it with me. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray together. We're going to pray. And uh, maybe you need to accept Christ as your Savior for the first time. I'm going to help you through doing that. And then um, I'm going to pray for you, for myself, for all of us as we embrace uh, this mentality. Let's pray. God, we come to you and thank you for your love. Um, Every one of us in this room has failed you. We're all in the same boat. And it's looked different, it's felt different, and the consequences have been different, and the timing's been different, and all that, but none of it matters. In your eyes, you look at us and you see people who are forgiven, and you see people who are sinful. And all of us uh, were at one time at least seen in your eyes as sinful. And uh, when we haven't come to you in faith, we should fear you. We should fear your judgment, because um, the penalty of our sin is death. Eternal separation from you, that's real. But, but you look at us, and I believe what your word says, that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You sent your son, and on the cross, he took the penalty for our sin, for mine, all of mine, as I think about my sin, as each person here thinks about their sin. To think about Jesus Christ, to think about what I piled on you. But you took it. You paid for it. And Jesus Christ, you died on the cross and you were put into a tomb, but the grave couldn't hold you. And so on the third day, you rose again. And that proves that that you are who you say you are, that we 
that we can be forgiven, that you have conquered sin and death. If, if I, the wages of my sin is death, and if, if I die physically, I die spiritually, and that's, that's permanent. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what you did that I couldn't do is that if I die in my sin, I stay dead. But Jesus Christ, you died with my sin on you, and the grave couldn't hold you because you're the Son of God. And you rose again. And I pray that every single one of us that are here fully appreciate what you did for us, Jesus. And maybe there's someone today who's appreciating that for the first time. They're admitting their sin. And they'd come to you and they'd speak to you, they'd pray to you right now, God, and just say, I know I failed. God, I've let you down. Please forgive me. And if you're saying that today, you're asking Christ to forgive you for the first time, I promise you he is. He's forgiving you. He's removing you from your sin. He's removing you from the, the penalty of your sin eternally. There may be consequences here, but he's removing you from that eternal penalty of death. He's forgiving you. And right now, we're, we're to confess our sin and then we're to repent, to turn in a new direction. And I want to encourage you in your heart today to turn and to say, God, I'm turning today. I'm changing my mind today. I'm following you today. And it's in that forgiveness of sin, it's in that faith that you have in what Christ did, that you're saved. You're forgiven. And, and now you can ask God, say, God, send me your Holy Spirit to guide me, to lead me. And his Holy Spirit will fill you and will give you the ability to do things you couldn't possibly ever imagine. And it's in his power and for his glory, not in your power or for yours. And all of us today, God, that have made that decision, that have asked your forgiveness and have been filled with your spirit, I ask God that that continuous rebellious streak that rises up within us, like a child testing the boundaries to see how much they can get away with and, and looking at your word and saying, did he really say it that way? That piece of us that's looking for a loophole, that's looking for a way out, that piece of us that is, that's hiding in the dark and that is, that's doing things in secret, thinking nobody's going to know about it, that that piece of us, that rebellious streak that continues to run to sin, I ask God that through the power of your spirit, you would break that inside of us and replace it with a spirit that's not controlled by rules, but a spirit that is controlled by your spirit to, to run as far away from those things as we can possibly get. Sh just change us, shift us, turn us around so that we can experience the joy in mourning so that we can experience the power in meekness, so that we can experience the fullness of being low in spirit, so that we can experience the reward of persecution because we've run from the line rather than embracing the line. God, I pray for all of us here today that you would help to put that spirit deep within us and give us the power to focus on it day by day and to follow through. It's in your name we pray. Amen.